But um, thank you so much, everyone, for coming this morning. Thank you to Liz and all the beautiful ladies who contributed to the amazing breakfast we just had. I hope you've all been well fed. And um, we're going to start by praying um, before we look to God's word to feed our hearts and our minds and our souls this morning. So um, let's pray together. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much that your word is the truth, your word gives us life, and Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and your son to point us in how we should live and where we can find who we are. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we get together around your word. Lord, please help me as I seek to um, communicate clearly what it is that you uh, would like us to hear this morning. Lord, be with us all to have open hearts and minds to hear the truth of your word as it speaks to us individually. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Meg. I'm Patrick's wife. I'm the mother of many. <laughs> of, uh, I am Abigail's mother, Beth and Belle's mother, a few other kids' mother. Um, I am Mark and Karen's daughter. I'm Justin's sister. I'm Pat and Bernadette's daughter-in-law. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mum. I'm a homeschooling parent. I used to uh, be a supervisor of a call centre for insurance companies. Um, I help out at Mainly Music and I help lead the women's ministry. And I'm also a huge fan of the Sydney Swans. These might be some of the answers that I could give to tell you who I am and answering the question of somebody else asking me, who are you? It can be very common kind of to use descriptions and labels like some of those things to help us identify and be what I have just done for us about myself. But what actually defines us as women who have come to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ as our savior? And who do we think we are? Who do we, where do we find our actual true identity? And how do we live in light of that? Now, for sure, some of those examples that I just used to describe myself, they are factual realities of um, descriptions and markers for things like the relationships I am part of or the functions that I have in my life or the roles that I play. But none of them should actually define us and none of those things should actually be the source of our identity. None of them are where we should really place our value and look for who we think we are. C.S. Lewis once said, look for Christ and you will find him, and in him, everything else. So let's look at God's word this morning as we start our investigation into our true identity. So if you've got your Bibles, um, if you'd like to open up to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be reading from verse 14 through to 17. Romans 8, 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You know, I absolutely love a good mystery. When I was growing up, all I wanted to read was mystery novels, things like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, and I love the old-fashioned detectives like Miss Marple and Poirot, and you know, still my favorite TV shows are murder mysteries and things where the, uh, the, you have to wait until the end to find out the true source of who the villain really is and what is their true identity. And so this morning, I thought we would do some detective work of our own, and we're going to look at the case that I like to call the case of the fake identity. This is a crime that we, as women, can often commit in our lives. We can take on identities that are actually not ours, and we can live our lives as women that we were never created to be. We can exchange the lasting joy of our true identity in Christ for the temporary fulfillment that perhaps a false identity can bring to us. Instead of leaving these false identities behind, we can actually be tempted to find all of our satisfaction in them, and instead we should be living in the freedom that our true identity in Jesus can bring to us. Today, I really hope that we can expose some of these false identities for what they really are and the rotten fruit that they can actually produce in our lives when we allow them. My hope is really that we will find our true identity in Christ, and that is offered because of what he's done for us on the cross. So my first point is looking for reliable sources. Any good investigator or detective will start their investigation into a crime by looking for reliable sources and witnesses wading through the multitude of clues and information, trying to find out what are the facts that will lead to the truth of this case. So, in my search for our true identity as women, I went to the great source of all wisdom and knowledge and facts, hold that loosely, um, which was the internet. And what I was not surprised to find in the top three sites of my search when I typed in finding my true identity. It took me to psychologytoday.com. It took me to an interview with Oprah Winfrey. And it took me to WikiHow. And all of these presented me with basically the same information, that many external factors make up my identity, coupled with my true identity is something I can only find within myself. Now, I think that in specific terms, there are many, many, many things that we can mistakenly place our identity in, but I've broken them down into four broad categories that I think cover most of the, uh, most of the places we mistakenly put our identity for most of us. And they would be our past, our status, our success, and our security. So we're, we're going to um, take a look at those four things. Firstly, our past. We can often define who we think we are and define ourselves by our past in many ways. We can live in condemnation. We can live in um, pain from the things that we've made mistakes in before we came to Christ. Perhaps the painful rejection we suffered growing up 
or even abuse or mistreatment through others. And therefore, we really struggle to trust God and take him at his word when he tells us who he is. Sometimes we define our past in light of where we've come from, our nationality, our culture, our customs, our family, who we grew up with, either having great privilege or not having much privilege at all. We can wear these identities like a badge that defines us. Secondly, we can mistakenly look for our identity in our status. This might be things like the titles we carry, such as our job occupations, ministry roles, or things that we're part of. I'm an accountant, I'm a cleaner, I'm a uni student, I'm a kids worker, I'm a worship leader, I'm the head of the PNC, I'm the netball coach, all of those labels that we carry. We can mistakenly find our identity in our relationship status. I'm married, I'm single, I have kids, I have no kids, I'm a single mother, I've got, um, I'm a widow. Even friendships, those whose group we're part of or the group we want to be part of or the friendships we do or don't have can define us. Our identity can be even mistakenly placed in our appearance, our weight, our height, our looks, our hair, how we dress, our style. This identity also plays out in our homes. It can be how we decorate, how we cook, what diet or lifestyle we follow, how we shop, where we entertain. Every one of these things has the huge potential to make us either feel really good about ourselves or really miserable, depending on the state of our status in our own eyes. So the next category I think we mistakenly can try to find our identity in is our success, our grades at school or uni, our promotions or awards we receive for a job well done. Our identity can even be mistakenly placed in our God-given gifts and talents or the roles and the places we serve within the church. We can falsely even place our identity in the success or failures of our children, pinning our hopes on what we want them to achieve or want them to accomplish in their lives. We can struggle to only feel good about ourselves when they are doing well in many different ways, either their development, their academics, their behaviour, or even their spiritual growth. I can honestly say that that can be a source of temptation for me to define myself by where my kids are at and how they are doing. And not only can our achievements define us, but also our perceived failures, the things we failed at, the things that we didn't achieve, didn't accomplish, things that we didn't get to pursue that we wanted to. We can also wear these like false badges. And lastly, I think we can mistakenly place our identity in our security, not just financial security, although that could be the case of our bank account, but situational security, the stability that we feel is that secure in our lives. Um, also, the relational security. How are our relationships? Do we define ourselves by are they doing really well? Or what about the broken relationships that are still of the past and that still bear scars in our lives? But where does all this lead us in our investigation? And are any of these things actually reliable sources for the truth? Do they bring us any closer to cracking the case of the fake identity? Well, I believe that when we actually use these things to define us and we place our identity in them, we are definitely in danger of following the world's view of where our true identity lies. We're using external factors like our past or our status to say who we are. 
and we're seeking instead to find our identity and worth within ourselves, how we feel about things like our success and security. So the second point is what do we say then that these fake identities say? Sorry, didn't word that very well. What do these fake identities say? When we identify ourselves by these factors in our lives, it can be as if we are forging out fake identification for ourselves. And these cards might say things like slave, orphan, or permanent resident. So firstly, slaves. Let's go back to Romans 8, verse 15, which says, But you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. A slave does not live with the rights and privileges of someone who is a free person, do they? Many of their rights and freedoms have been taken away from them horrifically by somebody else, and they are owned by somebody else. Many people who've actually been set free from the bonds of human slavery can really struggle to think and act like a free person because they tragically can revert back to how they were treated, the habits and patterns of being in the former captivity, and they cannot see themselves as a free person. This, for us, too, can be a trap spiritually. We have come to Christ. We've accepted his incredible gift of salvation and all the undeserved blessings and grace that that brings to us. However, we can easily still live as if we are slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to our past. We can revert back to thinking that we will never break free of the things that bind us enslaved to works and legalism. We've got to try harder, do more, do better, just to be gain a better identity. We can enslave ourselves to the things of this world that entice us to find our identity in them. But by doing this, we actually trade the freedom that the gospel has offered to us instead for the chains of fear that can easily choke us. So what are some of the fruits then of being a spiritual slave? I do think there are a lot of them. Um, but two of the things that I think can be most prominent would be anxiety and addiction. Now, Paul Tripp speaks of this a lot in his book called Awe. I would highly recommend if you're interested in reading more about what it means to be in awe of God and not in awe of the things around you, I would highly recommend reading his book. But he says that when we are anxious, we are no longer in awe of God and the freedom he has given us but rather we're in awe of situations, people, and circumstances. Now, this is not at all trying to downplay or minimise those who struggle severely with anxiety. Um, however, there is always an element that when any of us are really suffering with anxiety, we have lost sight of who Christ is. We've lost sight of who he says we are. And instead, we've bought the lies of the enemy who's enticing us to look elsewhere to find it. With addiction, we are trying to dull the pain, block out the past, fill our lives with the temporary pleasures that this life can give to us. We can replace that vertical awe of God, looking up to him and being in amazement and wonder of all that he is and what he's done, and instead we fill it with horizontal addictions to try to fulfil us. But whether it's substances or food, I mean, that's definitely something I can struggle with. Um, whether it's alcohol or TV or pornography or the internet, 
any of these things will only bring us temporary joy that will need to be refilled again and again. And you can definitely become enslaved to it. In John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36, Jesus describes how we were once slaves, but now we are set free. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Wow, this is an incredible gift that God has given us of freedom. When we abide in him, meaning not only that we have accepted him as our savior, but we want to obey his commandments and live out the way that he has called us to, we will be set free from being slaves. Slaves to patterns and habits of sin in our lives, from condemnation, from working harder, from trying more to be better, from achievement and success, anxiety and fear. We are set free from all of it because of what Christ has done for us. And the freedom from slavery is ours when we are asking God to rip up that fake ID, the one that says slaves, because we are now free. The second fake ID that we can carry around can say orphan. Now, orphans often live with a sense of hopelessness. They are unwanted, unloved. They have not had parents to love them and to nurture them and to care for them. They can often grow up with a sense of hopelessness and abandonment, the inability to know how to give and receive unconditional love with others, and they can be defined by their insecurities and then functionally live out of them. Well, I think we too can be acting like spiritual orphans. Even though we've been loved and adopted by our Heavenly Father, we can still live as if we are hopeless. Instead of putting our hope and trust in Jesus, we long for something more. We're still identifying ourselves as a child who has no loving father. We can let then those insecurities rule us and dictate how we relate to others. So what are some of the fruits then of being a spiritual orphan? I think, again, there are quite a few, but primarily I think they might be depression and fear of man. Now, depression leads us to despair. It is as if we're, we're sitting in a darkened room with no light, but we've told ourselves that the sun no longer is shining outside. Clearly, that is not the truth, but that's how we feel. But we also can tell ourselves that God is not who he says he is. He does not love us. He's abandoned me. Again, I'm not wanting in any way to diminish the deep complexities that people face with mental health and severe clinical depression, but I do think, like anxiety, where we struggle with depression, we will always find an element there of struggling to believe the truth of who God says he is and who he says that we are. Fear of man that can lead us to seek our identity from others, their approval and satisfaction with us, instead of actually putting our trust in God and seeking our affirmation from him. We give the power of our identity to others when we're seeking to be defined by that. 
and saying, who do you think I am? Rather than living in the hope and the freedom and the joy that comes from knowing who you are in Christ, that we are children of the King. Let's go back again to Romans 8.15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God has adopted us. What a beautiful gift to us. He has seen us and our plight and our suffering as orphans, and he sent Jesus to redeem us through the cross, and he has paid for us with his sin. His son, sorry. His son, not his sin. (laughs) Scratch that. His son. And through that, we get the right to be called a child of God. Lastly, the last fake ID I believe we can be guilty of carrying around is the card that can say permanent resident. You know, in in human terms, a a permanent resident is usually somebody who is seeking to live in a country other than the one that they've been born into. Um, They go through a strict screening process, lots of paperwork, lots of money, and wait for that stamp or seal of approval that, yes, you can now stay in this country and live and work and have all the benefits of where you now live. Um, Both Patrick and I have gone through this process, as I know some of you have also gone through this very long and tedious um, production of seeking to become permanent residents. Um, Patrick, when we first got married, uh, went through that process to come here to live in Australia. And I remember thinking, after all the worrying and the stressing and the waiting and the praying, that our visas would finally be approved, or his visas finally approved, I still remember feeling this total sense of peace and joy and just a thing that where now we can relax. Yay, he's not going to be deported back to America. And we can stay here now. We can start to build our life here. So what we did was we did relax. We started to build our life. We built more intentional relationships. We acquired more stuff to make our life here very comfortable. And we started building dreams for our life here and our future in Australia. But sadly, even as women who follow Christ and love him, we can have the same vision and goals for ourselves here in this world and act like we are actually permanent residents. We can have the same attitude towards our lives as someone who has received a visa to live in another country. We relax, we build up our life here, make it very comfortable for ourselves. We invest our time and energy and money and all of our resources into a place as if this is going to be where we live forever. Rather, perhaps seeing ourselves as temporary residents, people who are just passing through and staying for a short time, we can instead set up shop and make this the place of our value and our worth instead of where we are headed for our final destination. So what are some of the fruits then of living as a permanent resident? Once again, I think there are quite a few, but three of the fruits I think that might be hard to um, see sometimes, they could be being controlling, acquiring unwise debt, and falling into the trap of being a workaholic. So when we seek to control things, other people or our circumstances, we've actually lost sight of trusting God. It usually leads to stress and anxiety because we've stopped trusting him and we're just trying to control our lives ourselves and we forget the one who really is in control of all things and that we are really in control of nothing. Now we can often acquire unwise debt 
when we view ourselves as permanent residents because we have to have more. We need more stuff. We need more experiences, more things that really we can't afford, but we need it now. We are not satisfied, perhaps, to live within our means, possibly going without some very important things that are going to help us feel better about ourselves. Now, I'm sadly, I'm speaking from personal experience when I say that seeking to build up your identity or your security based on buying stuff and doing stuff and spending money and going into debt, it will never ever bring us the lasting happiness that we think we will have in that moment where we make those purchases. But maybe for some of us it's not debt, but we can totally afford and spend the money and be in our budget and, and it is within our means to do so. But maybe we're still seeking to fulfill the empty spaces in our hearts with the things and experiences, hoping they will give us the lasting satisfaction that we're hoping for. But when we're looking to satisfy our souls with the pleasures or the treasures of this world, we have taken our eyes off God and who he says he is and what he promises to be for us, which is our everything. And so workaholism. Now, you might think that's a really strange one. Like, isn't that a man's problem there, the workaholics? But I think that it can actually be something that us ladies can easily fall into. And I think that it definitely can happen not only in the external marketplace of the workforce, but as in our homes as well. We can very easily become wrapped up in our vocational employment, can't we? Finding our worth, our value, and an identity in what we do. We can be tempted to seek out the recognition and the validation from our work and those achievements and pats on the back that we will receive for a job well done. But we can be tempted to look for that in what we do and we forget it's not what we do that defines us, it's who we are. But we can easily look for that well done from others instead of from God. Please do not hear me saying that it is wrong for women to work outside of their homes in the secular workforce. That is not at all what I'm saying this morning. We is talking about our hearts and we want to look for what God is talking to us um, in our hearts and how we want to be following him, not whether we're a stay-at-home mom or working outside the home. But we can also then be workaholics in our home too, whether or not we hold a secular job or not. As women, we can actually become entrenched in that identity of mum. We uh, want that title and we've wanted it so badly and now it defines us. We can be striving and working endlessly to fulfil the role of mother because that's where we now derive all of our worth and satisfaction from. Work outside the home is not our idol. Our children and our home are. Neither one of these things will bring us lasting satisfaction or joy. And yet we can definitely pour ourselves into these pursuits, whether it's employment or parenting or other things like our hobbies or our time, um, volunteering or ministry roles even, until they consume us and all of our passion, time, energy, money, resources, all of our thinking goes into how can we satisfy ourselves with that? But all of these fake IDs that we're wearing, whether it be slave or orphan 
or permanent resident, I think that all of them can have one common fruit, which is the fruit of being dissatisfied. We can seek to find our worth or our value in just about anything. We can think like slaves who are not free. We can think like orphans who seek love and affection from anywhere other than God. And we can think like permanent residents who are trying to build up a piece of paradise for ourselves and comfort here on this earth. Or what we can do is expose these fake identities for what they really are, lies from the most unreliable source. They are lies from the enemy and they are not the truth. We can then tear them up and instead we can go to God's word and where we will find who we really are. So the next point is, would the real you please step forward? Now I realise that we have spent a lot of time looking at and investigating the fake identities that we can be tempted to wear, but often we need to hold up the fake in order to identify what is really authentic. Often in the case of fraud, where a thief has tried to fake a copy of the original masterpiece, excuse me, it can be very hard to tell the difference because it can be quite a good fake. But you will find when you hold them up alongside each other, the true authentic beauty of the masterpiece will shine as opposed to the fake imposter. And that's where we wanna end our investigation, where the truth is revealed. We have the perfect fact file here in God's word. It tells us the truth. And here we're gonna find our true identity. Here we find who God says we are, not who we think we are, because often there is a huge difference. And we know that the Bible tells us that we are many things once we have come to trust in him as our savior. We are his workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. We are salt and light. We are witnesses. We are branches that are grafted into the true vine. And we are friends of Jesus. But this morning, I just want to take time to highlight three of these incredible things that God says we are. Let's go back to Romans 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The first thing we are is children of God, daughters of the King. God has adopted us as his children. He's paid for us in full by his son at the cross. And we then don't need to be orphans any longer. John puts it this way in John chapter 1. He says, The true light, which enlightens everyone, has come into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is amazing news. When we consider what this means for our identity, when we receive Christ as our savior and we believed in him and put our faith in him, we were handed a new identity. Child of God, 
by the one who made everything. He made it all. And God's word tells us it's not by human birth. That means we don't need to look for it in the past, in our, the family we came from or the mistakes that we've made. This new identity doesn't come from our will, which means it's got nothing to do with us. We didn't make it happen and nobody can take it away from us. It doesn't come through our success or our status. And this has not come by the will of man, which means we don't need to look for our true identity, insecurity or other people because nobody has given it to us other than God. So therefore, nobody can take it away from us. This incredible identity as children of God is not just given to us, though, for our own good. It's actually supposed to be for the praise of his glorious grace, Ephesians 1 tells us. Now that phrase, to the praise of his glory or his glorious grace, is mentioned three times in that chapter and it's highlighting the reason why he saved us, why he's redeemed us, why he's adopted us. To make much of him, not much of ourselves, but to make much of him, to bring him glory so that we would not be only in awe and worship of him ourselves, but we, our lives would be like a walking billboard advertisement for how great God is and look at what he's done. And this is available to others as well. Now, we cannot do this if we still think like we're slaves and orphans, can we? We have to throw away those fake IDs so that we can be free. Throw away those things that tell you... <laughs> You're not free. You're not loved. You're not wanted. Look at all the stuff you've done. Oh, you'll never be good enough. Those are lies because God's word testifies that they are simply not the truth of who he says that we are in him. Now, you may not feel it, right? But our feelings lie to us. Your feelings will not tell you the truth always when you're looking for who you are and searching for value and worth and what defines you and what is your identity. Only God's word is going to tell us the truth. Let's go back again to Romans 8, verse 16. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Okay, so this fact alone is like mind-blowing. It could be like a sermon series unto itself, okay? I'm not going to do that this morning, <laughs> and, but it's enormous. I, I do not have the time this morning for us to really fully grasp the incredible enormity that this means for us, that we are fellow heirs with Christ, but I'm going to try to do it in about three minutes, okay? <laughs> so what does it mean to be an heir? In human terms, it means that somebody has bequeathed to you or left to you something belonging to them that you now are going to have as your own. It's usually something of great worth and value like property or possessions. But what does it mean to be an heir of God then and a fellow heir with Christ? In a nutshell, I think that it means that we now have everything given to us as an inheritance that is Christ's. Everything he has is now belonging to us because our Heavenly Father has given it to us. Now, I know that it is really very huge and enormous and it's very hard for us to understand, but I'm going to try to give us a very inadequate human um, illustration to try to help us. So, you know, Prince William will one day probably be king 
and he's going to inherit the throne of England and rule over the United Kingdom. His inheritance means that he gets to rule, that he gets untold treasures at his disposal, untold privileges, and surely an enormous amount of wealth. So what if you wrote a letter one day to the Queen and you told her that you have actually come to hear about her here in Australia and you believe in her and her ability to rule her country well and you have great faith and confidence in her grandson Prince William to do that in the future when he becomes king and you are now willing to give your life in service to her and her grandson follow their laws and be subject to their rule. Now, what if Her Majesty wrote you back a lovely letter that says, thank you so much for your beautiful letter. And she is now putting you in line with her grandson. You are welcome into the royal family. And from this point on, you now get to enjoy all the rights and the privileges that he does. And not only that, but one day when he becomes king and he rules over everything, you will reign with him and you'll get to sit next to him on the throne, right alongside him. Now I know that is a very flawed human um, illustration in comparison to the enormity of being heirs with Christ, but I want us to just get a glimmer of what that means to be given this incredible inheritance from the one who created everything and the one who owns it all. Now, God's word tells us then that this inheritance is a few things. It is imperishable, it is undefiled, and it is unfading. 1 Peter tells us that. Ephesians 1 says that our inheritance was predestined from the beginning of time. And Hebrews 9 tells us that our inheritance is eternal and it cannot be taken away from us. This is astounding news for those of us who can be weighed down with the burden of the searching for our true identity. And if we're seeking to find it through other means, because in Christ, because we are adopted by God and we are his children, then we have this glorious inheritance, something that cannot be faked, it can't be copied or duplicated, and it can't be stolen away from us. It can't be given by a person or achievement, and where you come from doesn't matter, and where you're going next, it doesn't define us it's for free and it should produce in us the fruit of overwhelming joy and thankfulness to God and the last true identity in Christ for us I think bears the label citizen of heaven let's read uh, Philippians 3 Philippians 3 uh, verses 20 and 21 it says but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This really gives us the only stamp in our passport that we need. It's not one that says permanent resident of this world. It's one that says you are citizen of heaven and that is going to be our final destination isn't it this place that we live in here and now is like a camping ground Francis and Lisa Chan in their book you and me forever paint this picture very well they talk about well what if what if you went on vacation 
and you went and stayed at the caravan park and would you really take everything you own, all your creature comforts, your bed, your fridge, your appliances, your couches, everything you owned just to go on a camping trip? Of course we wouldn't. But yet in essence, that is what we can do um, if we are acting like this is our permanent home. We must not confuse the blessings that God has given to us here on earth by thinking that they are the end goal, that that is the full stop of our lives. And that is where we want to have all the joy and all of the treasure. That would be actually ripping ourselves off once again, buying into the lies of the enemy who wants us to take our eyes off Jesus and no longer be in awe and amazement of him, but instead just fill our lives and be in awe and wonder of the temporary pleasures that this life can offer to us. Instead, we need to look to eternity, where we will spend untold eons of time worshipping around his throne, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We want to be looking to our future home, storing up treasures there as Jesus had instructed us to do in Matthew 6. Really, we're just travellers in this place. We're passing through. This is not our final destination because we're heading to where our true home is and where our true identity lies and that is revealed to us by God that we are his children, that we are heirs with Christ and that we are citizens of heaven. So how do we know then if we are actually carrying around these false identities? How do we know we're being led astray in our search for our true identity? How can we tell we might actually be card-carrying members of these fake ID variety? You know, I think no matter how authentic and realistic a fake ID can seem, there are still tests that we can use to uncover the truth. And sometimes, you know, we don't even realise we're carrying around a fake identity because to the average onlooker, they look okay, they look pretty realistic. But a way that we can ask ourselves and test ourselves to see are the things that we might hold dear too much in our hearts, too much in our lives? Is that where we're looking to define ourselves and our identity? We can ask ourselves to consider what might our response be if any of those things we hold dear were threatened, taken away from us or challenged? Placing our identity and worth in anything other than Jesus is actually deadly serious. And the Bible calls it idolatry. It's worship of something other than God. It's loving someone or something else more than we love God and looking to that person or thing or situation in order to bring the joy and peace and lasting satisfaction that only can be found in Christ. The first commandment from God to the children of Israel in Exodus is, you shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus reaffirmed this when he was asked, well, what is the greatest commandment? And he replied to them, you shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So the only way to know for sure if someone or something in our lives, past or present, is really an idol to us is to pray and ask God for discernment and wisdom to show us our hearts. Our hearts can deceive us, can't they? 
and but we need God's help to shine a light and to weed out those false identities that maybe are lurking there and we're not fully looking to him. So finally, here are four questions I think that we can ask ourselves as we pray and ask God to help us to find if we are actually carrying around false IDs. The first question could be, what do I spend the majority of my time thinking about and talking about? Is it my past, my success, my status, my security? Or do I spend most of my time thinking about and talking about how I can live my life to best glorify Christ on this earth with the short time that he has given to me? The second question we can ask is, what do I think gives me significance? Is it my past, my status, my security or my success? Or do I think that my significance comes from Christ alone and who he is and what he says that I am? The third question is, where is my hope? Is my hope in things of the past? Oh, if only I could go back there, things would be so much better, like the good old days. Is my hope in my status, my success or my security? Or is my hope in heaven, in Christ, where he is and where I'm going to be because that is my final destination and where I'll spend eternity with him? And the fourth question we can ask is, what do I most desire to be? Do I most desire a different status so I feel better about myself and more worthwhile? Do I desire more success, more accomplishments so I can feel good about myself? More security, either financially, relationally or in situations in my life? Or do I desire most to know God more and to be more like his son? It can, of course, be very hard to discern our own hearts even in asking those questions. And so we shouldn't be afraid, ladies, to humble ourselves before others, to ask for their input, to help us grow in these areas if it is a struggle for us. I think for wives, the best person to ask is your husband. He knows you the best. For mothers of older children, ask your kids. They know you very well, and I'm sure they'll be honest given the opportunity and ask for their opinion. We can also ask other ladies around us, ladies in our growth groups, people we trust, people we know who love Jesus and who love us and want to help us grow in holiness to become more like Christ. In asking these questions of ourselves and gaining other people's insights and praying for God's wisdom, we're really asking him to weed out the areas in our hearts and in our lives where we might be more in awe of other things more than we are in awe of God, our Redeemer and the King. We may have areas where we've possibly replaced worship of God for a fake, for an idol, and where we're worshipping ourselves or others. And then, ladies, where we find that we might be guilty of this, let's be quick to repent to ask God's forgiveness. He is generously so gracious to us to forgive us and to give us not only forgiveness, but everything we need to change. He's not asking us to do it by ourselves. He wants to help us and he will. Like every sanctifying process that we go through, we cannot do it in our own strength. We desperately need God's help 
and his word tells us that he is faithful to do this by the power of his Holy Spirit in us. And then, in light of that, let us live in the glorious freedom that he has given to us through the gospel that can bring to us divine forgiveness and grace and love, all the lasting joy and peace that we are longing for because we are loved, we are cherished, and we are forgiven in Christ. So as we have investigated and searched for our true identity as women of God, I pray that this morning um, will help us to look to where we do find our true selves. We will never, ever find it in our past, in our status, in our successes, or in our security. We are not defined by any of those things. We are only defined by God and who he says that we are. This should settle in our hearts any identity crisis that we face in our lives. In order to answer the question, who are you? You need only to look to Jesus and to his word to find the answer to that question. I would so encourage us today, ladies, if you think that you might be holding on to those fake identities, please ditch them, leave them behind. You are not a slave any longer. You are not any longer an orphan and you are not a permanent resident of this world. Please put behind you the identity that the enemy may have handed to you because you are not those things. You are a daughter of the king. You are a fellow heir with Christ and you are a citizen of heaven. Let these words of C.S. Lewis be true of where we can find our identity. Look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else including the answer to the question, who am I?